with more Pezzi da 90, it's Golazzo. Today, Dottori Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle warm up for Milan Arsenal by looking back at Milan Arsenal from a cold evening in Milan in February 1995. Everybody and welcome to Galad. So, Milan Arsenal very much on our minds this week, or at least it was coming into Sunday when, of course, everything got changed by the really shocking news from Udine, where the Fiorentina captain Davide Astori, in the words of his teammates, failed to come down to breakfast the next morning, uh, leaving Italian football, football in general. I think most people in and out of the game in, in a state of real shock. It's always almost surreal when somebody goes like this. And uh, Gabrielli, there's a lot of people asking about him as a player, about him as a guy. And a lot of people, I think, genuinely moved by the, the tributes that have poured in. So the kind of guy, guy that he was, and amongst all the sadness, there's almost an uplifting side of this, which is, it is really special to hear about a man who had such a huge impact on pretty much everybody he came into contact with. Yeah, and, and I think it was, it was impact very much on a, on, on a personal level. Um, I... I, I had spoken to him uh, at the Confederations Cup and mix zones and stuff. I say this freely because um, I remember, I, I think it was after uh, Italy played Mexico and won 2 1 with a, with a goal. This is at the Maracana with a goal from uh, Super Mario Balotelli. That's how long ago it was. And I remember, I mean, he was a guy who, you know, he'd come out in the mix zone and he wasn't, I don't, I'm sure he didn't play in that game. But Maybe because he didn't play, he was always available and he was easy to talk to. And and he was just always exceptionally polite and welcoming. And I thought, hey, that's a nice nice guy with the media. But then you read some of the tributes to him and they're really, really heartfelt. You know, I, I, I read Gigi Buffon's tribute and yeah, they played together in the national team a little. But, you know, they were never week in, week out teammates. And, and the picture emerged of somebody who was, who was just always polite. Uh, always a gentleman. Um, I thought back on his career. Did he have any issues of, of, of controversy, anything nasty, uh, a bad foul, anything like that? I couldn't find anything. Um, and I think it just summed him up. I mean, he was basically, he was a guy, you know, who who would have been lost in a crowd, but for the fact that he was normal and polite and giving and selfless. And maybe there's a deeper message in the fact that those qualities made him stand out. Mm. And those are qualities that, in a perfect world, ought to be a given. Mm. A massive shock to so many players that he'd come into contact with, and particularly, of course, Cagliari, where he spent six years, and, and the Fiorentina side that he was now captain of. It just goes to show what a small world football is at the, the highest level. Um, because, you know, when it came to the decision not to play the games on Sunday... Um, Yes, it was out of respect, but it was also out of an acknowledgement of how many players were grieving, how many coaches, assistants were grieving. I was following this uh, as it played out on sort of TV, and at the time, uh, the lunchtime kickoff was was Genoa against Cagliari, and um, the manager of of Cagliari, his assistant, they'd both played uh, with Davide Astori. There were obviously certain veteran players in that Cagliari team who played with him. He still had business interests in Sardinia, you know, um, uh, an ice cream parlor where you know, some of the players would go to. And then there were players who he'd played with at, at Cagliari who were at Genoa or were 
playing in other games up and down the country um, because or even people uh, who know do you see Mattia Perin mm. bursting out and uh, the, bursting out in tears and I'm thinking to myself he's never played with them mm. I mean when would he have ever met him maybe some limited time at national, uh, national yeah team, maybe that really struck you but then you know, you go further than that, and you see tributes coming in from from the likes of of, of Sergio Ramos, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know. I think there's a certain type of of football. I had a chance to speak about this with uh, with Matthew Opson on on the game podcast on Monday. That a lot of footballers don't really ever think about their own mortality, um, about how you know what what you hold can kind of crumble and and run through your fingers like like dust out of nothing. And and stuff like this is a very very stark reminder because mm. you're you're so taught never to show pain, never to show weakness, and and then all of a sudden it just all disappeared. Oh, well, I, I don't think that's something that's unique to footballers either, which is one of the reasons why it is such a, a shocking bit of news because footballers are almost the last people you expect to to have this kind of issue. That and the fact that there's a young family who's who suddenly lost a, a husband and a father, uh, and uh, you know, deepest condolences to them, Fiorentina and everyone affected by Astori's death. All right, well, uh, Thursday it is Milan-Arsenal at San Siro, and we're going to talk about the prospects for that game very soon. But first, we travel back to a strange and far-off land called 1995. Molti mari e fiumi attraverserò Dentro la tua terra mi ritroverai Turbini e tempeste io cavalcherò Volerò tra i fulmini per averti It is February 1995. I'm in a questionable waistcoat. James, you're in short trousers and the radio... The airwaves being dominated by Meravigliosa Creatura by Gianna Nanini, whose brother, of course, was Alessandro. Well, and still is Alessandro Nanini, the racing driver. Ooh. Well, he suffered a yeah. nasty crash. Lost right? an arm, didn't he? And then they sewed it back on and he kept driving. Not in, on the, It wasn't in the course of a race, although that's a film I'd like to see. Anyway, meanwhile in Italy, it is a time of turmoil. Silvio Berlusconi, Milan owner, has just resigned as Prime Minister after the Lega Nord pulled out of his coalition. Ooh. It's OK, though, he will be back. While Serie A had just been suspended after the death of a Genoa fan, Vincenzo Spagnolo, uh, the Marassi in Genoa just before a, a, a game with Milan. And it's against this backdrop that Milan are facing Arsenal in the European Super Cup. These days, of course, it's played at glamorous uh, locations like Tallinn, Tbilisi and Cardiff. But in those days, it was an eminently more sensible two-legged affair, James. Yeah, it was. But as you say, the context is, of this game is perhaps more interesting than the game. Ah. <laughs> Insofar as, um, you know, after this tragic incident, what, three days before the first leg at Highbury, mm. um, they go uh, they go to London and, uh, you know, they look in the stadium, they see, you know, kids in the stadium. And have this very idealised view of the reforms that they they perceive to have been made by Margaret Thatcher, and how how that would correct the problems that were, were afflicting Italian football at mm. the time. I mean, this this is quite incredible because for the second leg of the of the of the Super Cup, the atmosphere is really strange because the the ultras don't um, sing for an hour; they turn their flags upside down, 
Adriano Galliani, the chief executive of, of Milan for many, many years, said he'd gone to see them um, to ask for an explanation as to what had happened in that uh, away game in Genoa. And they said it had nothing to do with us. It was some upstart who wanted to make a name for himself. He wasn't affiliated to any of the three principal groups in the Kudfasud. And he took that as, as red. And again, there's a lot of you know, reports at that time, a lot of scrutiny about the relationship between clubs and the ultras. Basically, each of these groups was given around 100, 150 tickets um, free for them to, you know, not sell, but give away to attract young people into the, into the, into the Kurva. And obviously that was becoming more and more of a scandal. Well, the upshot was that it was a particularly tiny crowd on the 8th of February at San Siro, the first leg at Highbury, which featured the return of Paul Merson, instantly, uh, to the playing field, had finished goalless. And you the need s- to remind younger listeners why Paul Merson went away. I don't think that's a subject necessarily for this podcast. But they can Google it. If you want. But anyway, he was back playing, which I think is the most important thing. Uh, it was nil-nil at Highbury. Second leg then, with a mere 23,593 attending. Milan, of course, were there in their capacity as European champions, having beaten Barcelona 4-0 in the Copa de Campione in Athens the summer before. Arsenal were there because they won the fourth-place trophy. Is that right? <laughs> Actually, no. They this be- is pre-Wenger. They'd, they'd beaten Palmer in the Cup Winners' Cup final. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, well, among the many names, because we do like to have a look back at the names, among the many names that were there were the likes of David Seaman, that famous back four, Adams, Ball, Dixon and Winterburn, and up front, Ian Wright, who had a goal disallowed in the match, but still had happy memories of the occasion, as he told us. I was so excited because AC Milan was my team anyway. I loved AC Milan way back from uh, Van Basten and Hullet and Rijkaard and then George Weir, um, Shevchenko. And, and I liked Masaro as well up front. I, I was looking forward to playing against him. He scored in the game as well. But the noise, and I scored. I scored in the game at the San Siro, and they disallowed it. And I, and I was so gutted. I was so gutted about it. But the team, like they had, everyone was playing for him. I think Maldini, Costa Curta. It was. It was just like it was just a fantastic football team. Um, walking out the San Siro because it was one of the, the stadiums that you want to play in. You know what I mean? I've seen it for many years on the television and it was exactly how I'd expect it to be. So much noise. It was like one of the best, one of the best moments for me. And like I say, the goal being disallowed, I haven't seen it too often, um, but the goal being disallowed, I was really, really disappointed with that. Good old righty. Well, anyway, so there you were. Do you remember this game, Gabriele? Mm, not I remember so- that it happened, but okay. it's not something that, that stands out. Oh, it's worth going and having a look back on for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, David Di Siman uh, was stupendo. Another one is Dejan Savicevic, Berlusconi's favourite player, running the show. Were you a Savicevic fan? Or Savicevic? the first time, I may add. Wasn't that the period where like Savicevic had like maybe the only... 12 months or 18 months of his career where he literally lived up to it. Yeah. You know, no, going no. back, obviously, to the to the European Cup final. Mm. But, but I mean, Milan's star that season star was, was Marco Simone. Marco Simone scored 15 goals. Remember, in what, three or four months' time, Marco van Basten basically says, I can't carry on and has to and has to retire. Well, he's already been effectively retired since the end but of the his, 93. His goodbye game yeah. is in August 95, where mm. you see sort of Capello in tears on the bench. Um, 
I mean, that was a that was a real period of transition for me then, oh, in ninety four, ninety five, because they let go a lot of guys, like um, guys you even forget they had, like Giovanni Elba, um, Jean Pierre Papin, mm. Brian Laudrup. <laughs> they still had some names though, James. Oh no, they did. But Seb they, Rossi in goal, back four was still there. Tosotti, Maldini, who actually played in the first leg. Panucci came in from in the second. Mm. Uh, Costa Curta and uh, Franco Baresi before his. But, Spell as a Fulham director, but the thing I'm thinking is, it was it was I was like called for it, not funny. Um, I think it was the, the the transition to to that other sort of generation. You know, even people, who, even Donadoni, of course, stuck around, but then I think that was his last season. Um, you know, there, there was a sense that you know that, that they needed to change, especially in, in midfield and attack. And if you were to ask Capello. Like I have, he'd probably tell you that in some ways that '95 '96 title was one of his greater achievements because a generation had changed, um, and then that's at the end of that is sort of when it got when it got silly. There, there's a, there's a story where people forget to part one Paolo Di Cagno, of course, oh, came yeah. over as well. They, they signed. It. He was on the Isle of Giglio when the phone rang. Is that right? He was, yeah, well, he has a house on the, on, yeah. on the Isola Giglio. But um, he tells a great story about when he, uh, when he got into a fist fight with Capello. Because at the end of the season, they did this thing that Italian clubs used to do where they'd go on tour in far-flung places. So they went on tour in China. And in the first half, uh, they're playing some, some Chinese team. But it was, you know, the Chinese football back then, young listeners, wasn't what it is now. Um, and... He was playing, he played Baggio, Di Cagno, and somebody else who was an attacking player. I want to say maybe Lentini or somebody, but it was another sort of fantasista type. Uh-huh. And they're winning 1-0 at halftime. Um, this is all in my book, but that was a long, long time ago. So, And, uh, and uh, Capello in the dressing room is like, all right, well, uh, since we're winning 1-0 and you guys look a little tired, uh, we need to take off one of the, one of the front guys. And, and it's going to be you, Paolo, because they want to see, they want to see Roberto play. Mm. And um, but most of all, we need to maintain our defensive shape and balance for the second half, so that they don't. That just key for that. Well, <laughs> but that was a good idea. You take off a striker from midfield. Okay, okay. But he's like, and and that's when he lost it. He's like, what? 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 I, I, it's like he called them like I think he called them like Chinese assembly line workers. We need to do that. Your ego is so big that were we to, were they to equalize, were they to score, they want to see the stars. They want to see me. They want to see people who can play. They don't want to see him. And then he pointed at somebody in the dressing room. He won't. He didn't tell me who it was. Presumably not somebody who was as skillful as entertaining as Paolo. And that's when he says Capello lost it and tried to choke him, and and it got very ugly. And that's when Paolo decides as Paolo does. He just gets up and he just leaves the stadium and he wanders into the streets of Beijing um, without any money, no idea where he is. Somehow finds somebody who, who who helped him get back to his hotel and the minute he gets to the hotel, he he rings his agent and it's like the middle of the night and, uh, and he says like, okay, I'm, I want to leave right now. You need to send me money and a plane ticket and you need to find me another team because I never want to see Fabio Capello and ever again. And where did he go after that? Was that when he came to England? That's when he went to Celtic. Celtic. And actually, yeah, no, sorry. And that was the worst thing. Yeah, that's what really annoyed him. Because if you remember Capello that summer moved to Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. And he's coming back to me now. 
And, uh, and Paolo said to him, what do you care about this game? Why don't we just go out and entertain? Like, you're leaving to go to Real Madrid anyway. Talk about being a Judas. And that's when, that's when Capello just totally lost it. He says, smoke. You know, and Capello back then was mm. younger and stronger Jeez. and scarier yeah. than, you know, and he still had still the jaw. Pre- you know. Still pretty scary now. But imagine losing your temper with Paolo de Gagne. My word. But this second leg was all about Zvonny Boban. No? Oh, right, let's this get back the, to this the, second the, leg. The, all right. La so Mossa Vincente. Seaman has been stupendo. So Vicevic has been running the show. But in the place of young Marco Simone is Zvonimir Boban, mm. owner of the most extensive Russian literature library in Syria yeah. at the time. Leather, I would wager. Many leather-bound books. Many. many now books. Deputy Secretary General of FIFA, the governing body of world That's football. That's so true. Yeah. Super yeah. smart guy. And Masato, of all people, slips one a, a beautiful vertical ball through the middle of that famed mm. Arsenal defence, and Boban slips it past Seaman. Funny story about Zvonimir Boban. So uh, we, we wanted to talk to him because he's an interesting guy, and we knew that his house was an interesting place to talk to him because mm. it's listed by the Belliardi, it's like the, the Italian National Trust or whatever lived in this kind of 14th century, I think it was like a converted convent or something, where he kept his Russian literature. Um, I remember him, him smiling pitting, pittingly at me when I said I'd read some Tolstoy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, one day you'll take the training wheels off, chum. Anyway, so he says, listen, OK. Uh, you'll run a newspaper a... once you retired, no? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Uh, but he's a super smart guy. Hmm. Uh, so he says, just follow me when we, when we leave the training ground. So we drive out of Milanello. And with the crew in the car, and he's driving off, and we, and it, the roads are going down, and we're going through all these areas. It's all very countryside, and eventually we pull up to what looks pretty much like a, you know, those kind of seven-story apartment buildings that are you see all over Italy in the nice areas and the not so nice areas. It's all that, and this one's got a gate on it, so fair enough. And I'm a little bit disappointed, but then when he gets out of the car, I realise it's not the one on my bumper. <laughs> We've been following the wrong car. <laughs> Then we got in touch and he said, oh, well, uh, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, anyway, but back to Milan Arsenal at San Siro because Masara, after setting up Zvoni in the first half, then was there to place a classic Masara header and make it 2-0. Sealing the win and ending, of course, Arsenal's 15-match unbeaten run in Europe, which they were on. At the time, how about that? I should also point out to younger listeners, yeah, that that was George Graham's Arsenal, and there's a man named Nick. Not Hornby. for long, it wasn't. Exactly, there's a man named Nick Hornby who talked about how horrendous that team was, and and, and winning the Cup Winners' Cup with Parma left him feeling empty, and then a man named Arsene Wenger came. But of course, you all know because he's still there. Ha, well, indeed. remember the season before Milan had also won the league. Um, Scoring what just thirty-five goals <laughs> and conceding what fourteen something like that. Something so that nil-nil at Highbury. Well, that was Go when and he... seek it out. That's entertaining stuff with boring, boring Arsenal and that. Uh, that 
that classic Milan backline, which we, we we just we just listed, widely regarded as probably the, the best four defensive players of all time, but certainly to play together. And Capello's reaction to that was, you know what we need? Stick Marcel Desailly in front of that. That really <laughs> <shut up laughs> down. So that's how they played the ninety three ninety four season. That was, I mean, that comes back to Van Basten as well. It's because they didn't have anyone to score the goals up front. Yeah. And there were also political reasons behind that as well. Milan, I believe, I'm right in saying, wanted to bring in Daniel Fonseca, but because Berlusconi was running for uh, election with Forza Italia, it was felt, or at least this is how the story went, that it would be seen as too profligate for a man who was running on a programme of, of, of fiscal responsibility for him to spend a whole load of money on the bucktooth Uruguayan. So he ended up at Roma instead. Uh, anyway, so George Graham was there, but ominously, for any Arsenal managers about to face Milan this week, he was gone before the month was out because of that bung scandal. It was John Jensen, who's the one people remember, uh-huh. and this other guy named Per Leiderson, who nobody's ever heard of, which you always wonder, you know. Oh, George the bungs. Graham right. took, a, took, a, took a bribe, because, you know, guys call it a bunk, it makes it okay, because took a bribe thinking that, as he would say later, that this was a normal business arrangement and that people in other industries did this all the time. Mm. And scarily, he might be right about that. Mm. All right. Well, as we've detailed, the Milan lineup was pretty special. Capello winning there his eighth trophy for the club, which put the him least one... least important, he said, after this game, right. of that season. For he that was like, this, this, this ranks fourth on our agenda because they played the uh, Club World Cup against Vélez Sarsfield with mm. um, Carlos Bianchi or Larry David in charge <laughs> and Sheila Vare in goal and then they I think they won the Italian Super Cup um, against that but they were they were way back in the um, in the title race I think they were about 11 points off Juve well, they finished 10 points behind Juve they got to the Champions League final again but lost to Ajax managed by Louis Farhau indeed it was they then raided um, post what in the Bosman era no with and that was Clive, the beginning uh, of the end Reitziger, yeah. Cliver, Davids, who we didn't like. Yeah, Clarence. Mm. Arsenal but, also reached a European final that year. Do you remember what happened in that? Naeem. Indeed. Naeem uh, from the halfway line. He lost Seaman from 40 yards, as the <laughs> famous punchline went. Yeah. Real Zaragoza. Uh, so there you go. Wow. Wow, happy days. Of course, they're going to do it all over again. They have met since, most recently, in the 2011-2012 season when Arsenal lost 4-0 in the last 16. Yeah, that was Allegri and Ibrahimovic, no? Right. What's going to happen this time is what we're going to talk about next. Right, Thursday night, San Siro... An Arsenal team that's conceded eight goals in three, that's lost four games in a row, will come up against a Milan side that's unbeaten in 12, that hasn't conceded a goal in a month now. Yeah, nearly 10 hours. During which time it's also fought past Lazio to get into the Coppa Italia final. And now has its sights set on the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Managed by Gattuso. What has Gattuso done? Is he the Italian Cholo? Is he basically... Diego Simeone, but a bit shorter and swarthier. Uh, he was asked about this the other day because they were already talking about Gattuzismo. Ah. And he says, guys, people are talking too much. You're making me out to be some kind of guru of coaching. I'm not. I'm not a great coach. And as we've, I think, said in the, in, in, in a previous pod, what he's done is just kept things very simple. You know, 
these players feel comfortable in a 4-3-3, let's play a 4-3-3. Let's put these players in their natural positions. Um, to be fair to them, there's been a lot of little things that have added up to a lot. Um, marginal gains, I like to call <laughs> marginal them. Marginal gains, yeah. Um, yeah. For example, he's really given Davide Calabria uh, a chance. And um, I think, again, not only has he looked at their some of their big money signings and got them to play to sort of expectation in Bonucci, Bilia, who now looks like the player he was at Lazio, Chalinolu, who's doing stuff. Um, that's made them a lot less predictable because with Milan, if you're preparing to play them earlier in the season, you'd, you'd just be like, stop Suzo and you stop Milan. Now they've got another threat on the other side and it's a lot harder to do that. They've got a very big sort of Italian core, players who've come through now, you know, not only Donnarumma, Calabria, but Cuterone. Um, as well, um, seven Italian players on average in that team, and it seems to be seems to be working. He's made a group of strangers into a into a team very mm. quickly, or relatively quickly. While stories are the Arsenal eleven is busy falling apart, judging by the stories of uh, arguments of tears after recent defeats. Arsenal certainly have a problem with goals. Uh, Aubameyang not registered for the Europa League. Lacazette, I believe, still out injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Olivier Giroud's been sold here. Walcott's gone to. That's okay. You have Danny Welbeck, which may be enough. What do you think? I actually think Arsenal. You know, they're not going to say this, but they're not finishing top four in England. Oh, I think they um, have said this. So the Europa League really, really, really matters, and it should matter. So no more of this. I mean, if Fenger does the rational thing. It's going to be no more of this, you know, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, and other all these weirdos with like double-barreled last names. Jeffrey, Rain, Adelaide is probably gone at this point, but you know who I mean, mm. right? Just play your best guys. Say, guys, don't embarrass us, us. Get us back in the Champions League. And for Milan, I think it's the opposite. Um, yes, Milan could win the Europa League, but I think at this stage, the way things are going with with Inter, with with Lazio, with Roma, I actually think and the head-to-heads that are coming up, I actually think they have a better shot at getting to the Champions League, which they need to do, and it might not be enough for all the Mr. Lee nonsense. I think they actually have a better shot getting there in the league. Um, There's seven points off Inter who are currently in fourth spot. I mean... With a derby to come. Yeah, so then that could potentially become four points, and, you know, it's still Mm. this version of Inter. Um, So, for me... I don't know. I mean, they have a big enough squad. I think this is a game where maybe you don't go and, and, and play your best 11. Or if you have a doubt, you know, you rotate a little bit and say, you know what? A, Arsenal aren't very good right now. But B, if we get knocked out, it's really, really not the end of the world. But I mean, he's been sticking with more or less the, the same guys, hasn't yeah. he? He hasn't been rotating a lot, which people thought would catch up with Gattuso and Milan. But and I suppose... Gattuso. Yeah. And I, I think the the tragic circumstances of the weekend, where they were due to play a derby and they didn't play a derby, means they do go into this fresh. They've had a lot more time to sort of game plan around it. And you know, I think they they could they could look at this and and say we're at home, we've got fresh legs. Let's see what we can do and and go for it. You know, I I think um, to some extent, you know what. Roma winning at the weekend unexpectedly against Napoli makes it a little bit more difficult for them, although I don't think all of their issues are resolved. Lazio, I think, um, you know, while they, they've lost big games recently and were on that kind of stinking run, I still, I think, I would still make them favourites for third place. 
So I think it's still I still I still think the chips are against against Milan in the in the in the league. Mm. Having said that, I, I I take it, Gab, that you look at Atletico, even with a squad of what nine players, they've they've probably still got enough to win the Europa League. It's well, Milan just... might not think they're going to win the Europa League, but I I can't imagine Gattuso not looking at this game and thinking, I want to do everything possible to beat Arsenal, to knock them out, to make it to the quarters. No, I I I think I think Gattuso always wants to win, but I mean, I think the question is, you know, how do you how do you best do that? When you've got, you know, when the stakes are high, also, I mean, the Coppa Italia final is also important mm. to them, um, and you have the players. This is not a small squad. Yeah, um, Kalinic, Andre Silva. I thought people forget they've got them. You've got Montolivo and Locatelli behind the midfield in, in, in the Europa League as well. You know, mm. it's not like you're bringing in you're bringing in stiffs. And with all the love in the world for Cutrone, um, you know, playing against playing in Europe, playing against these defenders, maybe you're better off with. With with Kalinic, for example, I wouldn't break up the Bonucci Romagnoli partnership, but that's because you know I'm a I'm a total mark for for Romagnoli. Mm. I think he's fantastic. Um, but you know there are other adjustments you can make, and what you don't want to do, and this is always a risk. There are certain players at Milan who've been there a long time, and who, when the manager's winning, they don't dare say anything because they're not playing. When things hit a road bump. They're the first people on the phone to the local media. Radio Milanello. <laughs> yeah. And then that creates problems and issues. I don't want to name them because this could get back to them, but everybody knows who they are, and it's two in particular. And, you know, I think Gattuso has to be... Gattuso, of course, knows this, and I think he has to be aware how they play it. And I think giving them a prestigious match against Arsenal might be a way to keep those people happy for a while. Mm. Where do Arsenal hurt Milan? Where do Milan hurt Arsenal? Well, I mean, you look at that Milan back line at the moment, or you just look at how they defend as a team. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's it's hard knowing how diminished Arsenal are. Um, you know, they're without, uh, yeah, they're their sort of most penetrative striker in, in Aubameyang. Um, so it's curious considering how, what, you know, only a, a couple of months ago, Milan were losing to Rijeka. In the in the Europa League, couldn't get couldn't get a win against Eki Athens, losing to Hellas Verona three 0 conceding in the last minute equaliser to a goalkeeper against pointless Benevento, and yet they're going into this game as favourites. So how the tables have turned, really. So true. All right then. Well, Thursday night we're going to find out what happens uh, next Wednesday. We'll be back. Not sure what we're going to be talking about yet. There's so many options. We have compiled a list of all your suggestions, listeners. If you have other ones, do send them in. Do hope you enjoy yourselves in the meantime. Many thanks to James and Gabrielli for being with us today. Have yourselves a splendid week, everybody. From all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Not nearly enough football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try? You'll find us on Audio Boom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.